Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Glad you've joined us. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. A lot of big topics to cover today, including the Farm Workforce Modernization Act that passed the House. What will happen to it in the Senate? And there's kind of a mix uh, reaction by ag groups to it, some supporting it. Some, like Farm Bureau, have some real concerns about it. We'll get the thoughts of Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. His industry very much impacted by the labor issue, and we'll get his thoughts on this piece of legislation. Lots going on with biofuels. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us. And today we hope to uh, catch up with Steve Meyer, economist with Partners for Production Agriculture. Uh, We'd hope to have him on yesterday. Couldn't make the connection. We'll try again today as we take a look at the recent Hogs and Pigs report, his outlook for the hog markets, and uh, uh, what he sees ahead with Packing plants, all that coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, always good to talk with Boy. you. A lot of spending going on in Washington, D.C. They're sending out a lot of checks, passing a lot of big bills. At some point, though, those bills come due, and uh, we're hearing some of the different proposals now to, to pay for them. Um, as popular as the spending has been, the paying part of it may not be so popular. No, I think you're right, Mike. Um, you know, that's the thing. A lot of these programs we're hearing uh, coming from the Biden administration, they're very, uh, they're very aggressive. You know, they're very high-minded. They're very, uh, you know, futuristic. And uh, but, but you're right. The one thing that people don't seem to take into account sometimes is that everything has a price tag. Uh, you know, we had the, we had the two-plus trillion-dollar stimulus bill that was passed, and now there's talk of an infrastructure bill that's anywhere from three to four trillion. Uh, and on top of that, we don't even really know what might be in that infrastructure proposal coming from the Biden administration. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I think there's quite a bit of a sales job left to do on the part of the Biden administration. And I think that, uh, you know, especially uh, we need to focus on actual infrastructure projects, not just, you know, everything that, you know, is under the sun thrown into a bill. And uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what's actually in that proposal for ag. Um you know, rural America's got a lot of issues when it comes to, to roads and bridges and, and those things. And so this is really, a, uh, you know, a time of opportunity and it's been a very important time. You know, there's talk about increasing the gas tax at a time when we're trying to get people back out driving again. And there's also talk yeah. about even eliminating stepped-up basis. We're getting into that capital gains, that death tax issue again. Uh, some big battles right. will be coming, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And you're right. Um you know, the one thing I think, you know, specifically with the ethanol industry, we've been kind of waiting to see what this driving season would present. Uh, you know, things have really opened up and the economy is looking better. Uh, you know, we're kind of getting a little bit past the COVID issues. And so, you know, a lot of people in ethanol in particular were, were hopeful for uh, a lot of demand in the driving season coming up. And uh, certainly if we're talking about raising gas taxes, that's going to put a bit of a damper you know, on, on the family budgets and, and what they're able to afford, you know, whether they're going to take a, a trip that they had planned or whatever the case may be. Uh, but you're right. These aren't easy, uh, easy issues. And uh, it seems right now we're at that point where we have a lot of big issues 
that are being presented, things that uh, a lot of people have, have taken sides on, and, and uh, in particular in agriculture, not a lot of support for a death tax. Um, so we'll see how this goes and see how it's sold. Yeah, another proposal that's been floated out there, paying uh, uh, you'd pay a tax by the number of miles you drive even. So there's all <laughs> kinds of things out there. We'll kind of see how that plays out. And I hear a lot of people yeah. say, and I understand, the national gas tax has not been raised in quite some time. But some states sure. have. And the one I live in certainly has raised it, so uh, <laughs> it depends on where you're at. Uh, you yeah. mentioned biofuels, and certainly the biofuels industry has to feel encouraged by some of the words they have heard from new EPA Administrator right. Michael Regan. Now, we'll see if the actions back up the words, but so far, so good. Yeah, you know, Mike, we're still in kind of that uh, honeymoon phase, if you will, uh, in, in the new leadership at EPA. Um, I think the one thing that, that we've heard repeatedly from Michael Regan is that, uh, you know, this administration supports the RFS, it supports biofuels, uh, some people are a little concerned about the recent rhetoric, though, coming from, from Michael Regan. He talked last week uh, during the AgriPulse Ag Summit about uh, advanced biofuels. And, and, you know, we've dealt with that uh, advanced biofuel question for many, many years. Uh, you know, biomass-based diesel is an advanced biofuel. So that's one, uh, it's one biofuel out there that's quite successful. But, uh, you know, people are concerned that, uh, you know, the, this administration is going to take a turn away from corn ethanol. And uh, so there were a number of uh, biofuels leaders and uh, and some others talking last week at, a, at an event here in Nebraska about this. And they, they really are concerned that, that uh, the Biden administration may be taking a turn away from corn ethanol. Now, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, interesting to see the, in, the, uh, the industry make the case that corn ethanol is an advanced biofuel, which... You could probably make that case according to the science as it stands now. So uh, here we go, more more back and forth. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk more about that with Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association a little bit later on. Also interesting from the AgriPulse Summit last week, comments by Secretary Vilsack concerning carbon markets, a carbon bank. He right. came out and said, basically, hey, Agriculture, yeah, can benefit from this, but the way it's set up now, they won't benefit as much as some people are saying. There's a lot of work to be done on this. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, farmers uh, in agriculture in general is a very small part of the current carbon markets that are out there. Um, and right now, like Secretary Vilsack had said, there's really not uh, a lot of appetite from, from uh, farmers to get into this current carbon market because it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of hassle that might go into it. Uh, but he keeps uh, pushing this idea that, uh, you know, perhaps the Commodity Credit Corporation could be used to set up some sort of a carbon bank. Um, you know, on Capitol Hill, there's a lot of opposition to this already coming from the Republican side. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I do think that, you know, it, it's interesting to hear uh, the secretary talk about these issues and uh, the idea that he wants to get the ag community involved and hear more from them about what would be a, a good way to do that, as well as some other programs, you know, maybe bolstering conservation and that sort of thing. But um, I do think that, you know, it, it raises a really interesting possibility, you know, whether Congress has the appetite to step up the funding in the CCC or whatever might come from this. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely a very hot topic in D.C. right now. Yeah, what I appreciated was, unlike some other government leaders who basically say, oh, yeah, it'll be great, 
it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. You're all ready to go. He, he pointed out, hey, there are things that have to be done or it won't be so great and wonderful for agriculture. So I appreciated his honesty and, uh, and kind of, uh, you know, shedding the light on that and putting it out there for debate and discussion. All right, Todd, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Up next... Ag labor, it's a big, big issue, and especially at this time of the uh, what's going on at the southern border and immigration so much right in the news again in the spotlight. What does that mean for the uh, Farm Workforce Modernization Act and what will happen with it in the Senate? We'll talk with Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association about ag labor next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids. 
kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we are trying to get a hold of Jim Baer. President and CEO of U.S. Apple Association. We want to talk uh, farm labor with him, and not sure if he's going to be able to join us or not. Now I think he's there. Jim, are you with us? I am, Mike. Good morning. There you go. Thank you. Appreciate it. No, you're busy. We've got a lot of things going on. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, the ag labor issue. You and I have talked about this quite some time. It's a it's a huge issue for agriculture in general, your industry, the apple industry in particular. The uh, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act passed the House, goes to the Senate, uncertain about its future there. We've seen several ag groups strongly support this measure, even though some are saying they could use some improvements here or there. Farm Bureau has not supported it. What are your thoughts on it? Well, there are more than 200 ag organizations that have supported it, and, and we appreciate all that support, and we just know that it's something that's too important um, to not do. As you and I have talked before, this uh, bill, a very similar bill, passed in December of 2019, passed through the House. We had hoped that it would pass in the Senate in 2020, but then, of course, COVID hit and everything that wasn't COVID-related came to a screeching halt. So here we are back again, really enthused about this bill. We think we've got a shot. Uh, our ag labor laws haven't been changed in several decades, and obviously agriculture has, as your listeners well know, and particularly for people like uh, dairy operators and, and uh, confinement agriculture, they've never had access to a to a uh, visa program to bring in uh, legal uh, workers. And so this bill would add them to the H, so-called H-2A visa program, would make improvements in that, modernize it, streamline it. Uh, and it would uh, provide a path toward the legal status for those people that are here on without documents currently. And there are several million of them. I'm not, gonna, not going to uh, sugarcoat it, Mike. Uh, but those people have got to get right with the law. And so this bill would allow them to pay a substantial fine and, and uh, start paying taxes as, as, uh, as they do currently and, and you know, try to get ag labor modernized. We need it. Uh, what about the concerns that have been raised over the bill? What areas, you, you see some areas you think could be strengthened or improved in the Senate? Well, the whole issue of how the, the so-called adverse effect wage rate, uh, which varies from state to state based on the state's minimum wage and so on and so forth. So, for example, your listeners that might be in the Northwest, they're already paying sometimes uh, $16 an hour or more versus some states in the Southeast that are paying less than $10 an hour. So 
that's kind of where the controversy comes in is that is that those growers don't want to don't want to lose that that advantage but at the same time we're having a hard time attracting people to agriculture and we're going to have to pay a fair wage to to get them here and um as a practical matter some states in the last couple of years have seen increases from year to year of more than 20 percent well your grower listeners know that you can't plan a business when you don't know what your labor rates are going to be and if it's going to increase more than 20 percent that's that's a real hard pill to swallow so it would make some improvements there and just generally streamline and modernize the, the whole program we're talking with jim bear president and ceo u.s apple association jim i just want to bring this up because timing sure. plays a big part in a lot of things uh especially when you're trying to pass a bill and with what's going on now at the southern border and that's so much in the news right now uh do you think that'll make it harder to get this uh, across the finish line well, I've wondered the same thing, Mike, and, and uh, I guess what it has done is put immigration front and center on every political debate that's going on right now. I, I don't think that there's any connection between you know the children that are in detention centers and so forth, and that's a horrible sight to see, but it, it's, it's, I guess you would say, related but, but distinct, and the workers that agriculture needs they would come in on these temporary work visas for a period of, say, four, six, eight weeks, um, unless it's a year-round operation like a dairy. Um, so it's really not connected, but for the general public and for, for people in Congress, it's a, it's a heavy lift to get them to understand that the labor needs of agriculture are, are separate and distinct from the problem that's going on in the border right now. Yeah, and... We've been talking about that for some time, and so often, uh, for lack of a comprehensive immigration policy, we fail to even get portions done, like the ag labor part of it, uh, and that's where it's all bogged down before, right? Yeah, it is, and I'm a firm believer that the perfect is the enemy of the good, and while we certainly need a comprehensive overhaul of our immigration laws I, I don't want that to bog down this specific need for agriculture so we're trying to do this on kind of a rifle shot approach and, and get this thing done and we've got a really strong bipartisan support in the house we're working on that in the senate um, the, the bipartisan support in the house had everything from very liberal democrats to some of the most conservative republicans that supported the bill so we think there's a glimmer of hope and we're not going to give up because it's just too important to agriculture we we've got to have a dependable and predictable supply of of labor and and uh we'll never have that without passing this or an even better bill so our attention's in the senate and we're working as fast as we can but it's uh it is a heavy lift but we're not going to give up so it, it impacts many sectors of agriculture. Uh, let's look at your industry, the apple industry. Give us examples of what those in your industry are, are dealing with and facing uh, because of a, a shortage of ag labor. Mike, I talk to family growers all the time who tell me that they had to leave $100,000 worth of apples, $200,000, $300,000 worth of apples on the trees to rot 
at harvest time because they couldn't get people to pick them. And as a as a uh, farm boy myself, once upon a time, I just find that offensive. I, I hate seeing food go to waste. I hate seeing growers that spend their whole year trying to produce a, a, a crop and then they can't get it harvested. And so that's a, that's a real problem. And then, you know, that's just the beginning. Once the apples get harvested, then we need laborers in the, in the packing facilities where the apples get washed and packed and the boxes that go to your grocery store. And, and it's not just us. I mean, we're about, we're, we're the largest specialty crop, but we're, we're just one of many. So everything from lettuce to, to tomatoes to strawberries and apples, I mean, it's all hand labor. I know that's distinct from a lot of your listeners who are highly mechanized in row crops and small grains and, and so forth. But it's, uh, it's a, an important part of our American agriculture and, and uh, it's under real stress right now, lack of labor. And, and you see it in some of your rural communities where, you know, people working at the McDonald's or Burger King are making $16 an hour and it's inside work and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's considered more attractive than the hard work of working on a farm. And uh, it is hard work. There's no doubt about it, but your listeners know that all too well. And then it comes down then how it affects everyone. It comes down to food availability. It comes down to food price and whether or not you're going to produce this food here in our own country, or are you going to, at some point, are we going to depend on other countries for our food? I totally agree, and and I've said the same thing myself many times. Here in the U.S., we've got every natural advantage uh, in terms of climate and soil and grower know-how, and to us, it makes more sense to import the labor and produce the food here versus importing the food somewhere else and uh, idling those tremendous assets that we that we have here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with that. We did, if we can bring in the labor to replace the people like me, farm kids that left the farm, moved to the city, and and uh, and if we can if we can replace that labor and keep doing what we're great at, which is growing the best food anywhere in the world, then I think that's going to be to all of our advantage. All right, Jim, we'll see what happens in the Senate on this. Thank you very much. Thanks for the update. You bet, Mike. Take care. You too. Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Now, whether this bill is the one that will finally address this issue and and help resolve the issues, we will see. Uh, we'll see what its future is in the Senate because there are some that certainly want some changes. But the issue itself is not going away and needs to be addressed. All right, up next... Uh, Are we getting some mixed signals on biofuels from EPA? We'll talk about that with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Crop markets were under pressure yesterday but remain well within their recent trading range. The ongoing pattern of sideways trade in corn and beans will likely continue into tomorrow's USDA reports. Corn is right on the fence of the green line, 20-day moving average this morning. Traders are pretty comfortable with the price level going into the reports. In the soy complex, however, beans, meal, and oil were all under pressure yesterday and this morning. Prices for all three are now below the green line 20-day moving average. On the Board of Trade, May corn trading four cents lower at 5.42 and three quarters. The July contract down four cents at 5.27 and a fraction. For soybeans, the May contract down six and three quarters at 13.86 and a fraction. The July contract down seven and a fraction at 13.78 and three quarters. For wheats, the Chicago wheat May contract down down five and a fraction at six eleven and a half cent. Kansas City wheat may down three and three quarters at five sixty five and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat may down a nickel at six oh five and three quarters. The July contract down five and a half cent at six fifteen and a fraction. Livestock futures on the Board of Trade trading mostly higher. The May lean hog contract trading five cents higher at 101.50. The June contract up 25 at 105.47. For feeder cattle, the April contract trading 35 cents higher at 147.42. The May contract up 32 at 152.50. For live cattle, the April contract trading 22 cents higher at 121.20. The June contract down 17 at 122.47. In cash cattle country, asking prices are around $118 to $120 in the south and $192 plus in the north. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 81 points, the Nasdaq composite down 94, the S&P 500 down 18. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
We're joined now by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, always good to talk with you. Um, I know you're encouraged by some of the things that you're hearing from EPA Administrator Michael Regan when it can, comes to biofuels and how he sees uh, them playing a part in climate policy. But there have been some other things said or done by EPA, maybe caused a little bit of a pause or concern. Uh, uh, is it mixed signals at this point, or how do you feel? Uh, we still feel really optimistic, uh, Mike, about uh, the, the new administration and, and Administrator Regan. Uh, yes, we did see EPA finalize uh, a proposal that had been issued by the previous administration to extend the compliance deadlines for the RFS for 2019 and 2020. We felt that was completely unnecessary and, and really uncalled for. Uh, but that was a proposal from the Trump administration uh, the, the previous administrator, Andy Wheeler, had kind of slid that out the door as they were leaving. Uh, so it, it, it kind of put uh, the new administration in a box, and, and so I'm not terribly surprised that they finalized uh, that proposal. And we don't really see that as a, as a, a, a signal um, or, or anything to be terribly concerned about. Uh, what we are picking up from the, the new administration is strong support um, and a strong commitment to enforcing the RFS, and, and certainly we saw uh, EPA change its position uh, right out of the gate on the Tenth Circuit case and, and really change its position on small refinery exemptions. So overall, we're, we're still feeling uh, quite optimistic and, and encouraged by what we're seeing from this EPA. Are there pending requests for waivers to the RFS sitting on Michael Regan's desk right now? There are. Uh, that's another uh, another gift that was waiting for for Administrator Regan as he settled into his new office. Um, there were a handful of requests for waivers of the RFS, uh, the 2020 volumes. Um, there's even still a, a request hanging out there for a waiver of the 2019 volumes um, that was left unresolved when the Trump administration left. Uh, so, and, and now there's some new letters coming in. There was one last week from uh, 13 uh, Republican senators from oil states um, asking Administrator Regan to waive the 2020 and 2021 standards. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's got a lot of uh, noise, I think, around the, the program. Um, we're confident that uh, EPA is going to deny those waiver requests. We think some of them don't, many of them don't even rise to uh, a level where they can be considered a, a, a formal petition uh, that meets the statutory criteria for um, even considering a, a request. So, uh, you know, again, we, we, we remain confident that things are headed in the right direction, and, and Administrator Regan just last week, again, committed to putting the RFS back on track. Those were his words. Um, and so we're, we're you know, we're going to take him at his word and, and uh, hope that's where things are headed. And acknowledged in his comments that biofuels can play a part in this climate policy moving forward. And that's what we've been kind of wondering and waiting to hear, right? Where would the administration uh, put biofuels in this grander uh, effort that they have underway on climate? Yeah, that, that's right. And, and it has been encouraging, Mike, to hear uh, Administrator Regan and, and President Biden and, and others uh, in the White House specifically call out biofuels as a a central component of their strategy for addressing climate issues. Um, we didn't we didn't necessarily hear that uh, when a lot of these same people were 
uh, in the administration uh, during the Obama presidency. Uh, so we do see that as encouraging, and we see it as a sign that um, there's been a you know a, a light bulb go on and, and a, a better understanding of the benefits that biofuels like ethanol can provide. Um, you know we've we've had a couple meetings with EPA very recently, uh, where it's pretty been pretty clear to me that uh, they do see renewable fuels uh, as uh, and the RFS as being a critical component of the larger strategy to address climate change moving forward. So that that is encouraging. You know I guess the one area where we think uh, some more work and more education needs to be done is around this notion of, well, you've got conventional biofuels like corn ethanol and you've got advanced biofuels, and the advanced stuff is the really good stuff. Um, you know, the truth is we've seen tremendous progress in the efficiency and the the carbon footprint of corn ethanol in the last 10 years, and we just want to make sure that uh, our leaders are, are correctly uh, capturing that and understanding the advances that have been made. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. People hear about biofuels and then advanced biofuels. What's that distinction? What's the difference? And how do you see corn ethanol uh, moving forward? Is corn ethanol an advanced biofuel? Well, Mike, it's it's really a, a statutory definition issue, and there's a there's a definition in the law, uh, the RFS, the, the law that established the RFS two, that specifies what is an advanced biofuel. And according to the law, it's it's a biofuel that reduces greenhouse gas emissions by 50 percent or more compared to gasoline. Well, we know that there's a a, a large amount of corn ethanol today that already exceeds that 50 percent standard. Heck, we saw a study from Harvard University just several weeks ago that said the average gallon of corn ethanol uh, today is reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 46%. So almost, you know, we're almost there as an industry average, and we certainly know that there's a number of plants that are already exceeding that 50% level. Now, the problem with the definition in the law that was written back in 2007 is it, it uh, specifically excludes corn starch ethanol from qualifying as an advanced biofuel, which we always thought was ridiculous and completely unnecessary. Um, so we just, you know, we need to address that. We need to make sure that uh, ethanol, regardless of, of the feedstock uh, that it, that was used to produce it, that it's judged on its, its carbon footprint and is allowed to qualify um, and, and get credit for its carbon reductions, you know, regardless of whether it comes from corn or, or corn stover or switchgrass or any other feedstock. Yeah, that's a huge issue. Uh, you don't want to get caught in some kind of a loophole or technicality that leaves you out when, you know, obviously, as you said, you've got a case to make that you should be in as an advanced biofuel. Well, that, that's right. And if you look at, um, you know, how things are going in California under their low-carbon fuel standard, now, bear in mind, we 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 have our own problems and concerns with that program, but at least it it doesn't make sort of arbitrary distinctions uh, like that. It, it, it judges all fuels based on the carbon footprint uh, without any distinction for what the feedstock is or where it came from, what state it was produced in, any of that. Um, and so we're you know hopeful that we can get the RFS to a point in the future where it isn't making you know kind of silly and arbitrary uh, distinctions around feedstock. It, it's, it's looking purely at 
what does this fuel do to reduce carbon emissions? Uh, and, and ultimately, that's, that should be the goal. That should, that should be the measuring stick that all uh, renewable fuels are judged against. So that's, that's where we're hoping to get to with the RFS moving forward. Some positive news on getting E15 more in the marketplace. We're seeing uh, more retailers offering it. Yeah, that, that's right. Just yesterday, uh, one of our member companies, CHS, uh, announced that it is uh, expanding its offerings of E15 at the terminal level. And, and the reason that's so important is because if you're offering pre-blended E15 um, at the terminal, uh, it really helps retailers avoid some of the uh, more expensive, more costly upgrades that they need to make at a station if they're, you know, blending E15 at the, at the retail station. Um, you know, in, in that case, they've got to have a tank full of E85 and a tank full of E10, and they've got to have blender pumps, and they've got to blend it, the two together to make E15. Um, if you are instead buying E15 at the wholesale level at the terminal, you're avoiding, uh, you know, some of those additional considerations and, and additional costs at the retail level. So we see that as a big step forward. It's, it's uh, you know, one of, of several recent announcements that uh, we think shows that E15 is really expanding its footprint across the U.S. And, you know, we, we continue to believe that ultimately E15 is going to be uh, the, the new norm. It's going to be, it's going to replace E10 as standard gasoline, and we think that day is coming sooner than later. I was getting E15 over the weekend, and I think it was a nickel uh, cheaper at the pump uh, where I was at. Yeah, and, and that's not surprising either. I mean, even even with higher corn prices and higher ethanol prices that we're seeing in the market today, ethanol prices are still below uh, gasoline prices uh, at the wholesale level. We're 15 or 20 cents uh, per gallon under gasoline blend stock. And then we've got that REN value that, that comes along with the RFS. We're seeing very, uh, very high REN values recently, and that allows retailers and, and marketers and, and really the entire supply chain to share some of that REN value in the form of a discount at the retail level. And we're seeing that not just with E15, but E85. We're seeing tremendous pricing uh, for, for E85 in some places. Um, I saw a station in Nebraska last week that was selling their E85 for half of the price of their E10. So uh, that's being enabled and, and really driven by uh, the RFS and REN values, uh, and it's going to help you know further expand the, the, the footprint of higher blends. All right, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Lots going on, including start of baseball season this week, Jeff. Yes, sir. I was in Florida last week and, and got a chance to take a look at the Redbirds. And, and I'll tell you what, Mike, seeing Nolan Arenado in Cardinal Red was uh, was a sight to behold. All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jeff. Talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. 
But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl. But with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And this week, we're joined by Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative, to discuss the latest agriculture and trade policy updates. What about carbon? We hear so much about carbon. We hear about revenue streams becoming available to farmers. What are you hearing and how do you see that playing out? Carbon seems to be involved in pretty much all the conversations I'm having these days in D.C. and we're also seeing more and more players in the private sector get involved in the discussion as well. I know there's been a lot of talk in the news about USDA kicking around different ideas like a carbon bank, but I still think we're going to have to wait and see what direction they'll go in regard to carbon at USDA. In the meantime, I did want to highlight a bill going through Congress called the Growing Climate Solutions Act. Uh, this is a bipartisan bill that was originally introduced last year by Senate Agriculture Committee Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow from Michigan and Republican Senator Mike Braun from Indiana. The bill seeks to break down barriers and provide technical assistance for farmers and ranchers that are looking to start participating in carbon markets. The Senate Agriculture Committee held a hearing on this bill and other climate-related policies uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's supported by numerous major agriculture groups such as American Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, and the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. What about long-term, Will? What do you think 
could be the long-term effects of this administration's focus on carbon and sustainability? That's a really good question, Mike. And I certainly don't see these conversations ending anytime soon, especially as we start looking forward to the 2023 Farm Bill. So I think it's really important for farmers and farm organizations to speak up now about what they want in climate policy and what might work or not work, depending on their individual operations and geography. That's Will Stafford, CHS Washington representative. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Steve Meyer, economist for Partners for Production Agriculture. Steve, always good to talk with you, and we appreciate your time. Uh, Just had a hogs and pigs report. What was your takeaway from that? Well, it was surprisingly small. I mean, relative to the pre-report estimates, one of the smallest we've had uh, of the seven major numbers we kind of look at in that thing, uh, only one of them was even above the low range of the pre-report estimates. So it was certainly, uh, on its face, it was a very bullish report. But the market kind of, you know, we were up on Friday, but not limit up. And I thought we'd be limit up on Friday. And then Monday we were down, and I I haven't seen what markets are doing today. Mike, I'm out of the meeting. But... uh, uh, still, it, it was it was a bullish report in my opinion, and it certainly says that we're going to have uh, you know not not burdensome pl- supplies of hogs for uh, by any stretch of imagination as we go on through this year. Um, but uh, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a bullish surprise that that apparently was already being traded to some degree by the by the futures market. Yeah, I was going to say, evidently. It had been factored in somewhat for for the reaction the markets had to it? Well, it had, and, and, and we've had this kind of ongoing debate all winter, primarily centering around what was going on with the breeding herd and with PERS losses. And when we look at that report, the number that probably surprised me the most in there was uh, 10.94 pigs saved per litter. I, I, I really thought we would be back to normal kind of growth of 1.5%, and that was below last year's 11 on that figure, um, you know, we stopped the kind of selective gleaning of pigs uh, in in, in farrowing houses last fall. Uh, there was a time there where we had some pigs that were euthanized. We had, you know, a number of operations that we're not going to take any more than 10 pigs off of a sow or any pig less than 8 pounds is not going to be moved and those kinds of things. So we had that going on for the summer because of the, our slaughter capacity situation. Uh, but that stopped last fall, and I really thought we would return to a more of a normal growth uh, pattern. And, you know, the, the explanation could be that we just lost some pigs in different places around the country due to PERS losses over the winter, and that impacted pigs per litter. It impacted the DSFED pig crop. It impacted the under 50 and even the one, uh, the 50 to 119-pound uh, inventories. And so it left us lower than what I thought. It also, we had a breeding herd that was down you know, 2.8%, which uh, was a larger reduction that I expected given the level of where we've been on sow slaughter. And so uh, just kind of across the board, it was lower numbers than I expected. Now, I think this has been a demand-driven market. I think it's still a demand-driven market. 
And uh, I think that's a really positive thing for pork producers out there. They're going to have great pricing opportunities here. Um, I would still be approaching this market the same way I did before, and that is take advantage of these prices that are being offered, but leave the top side open with, uh, with some option strategies. Packing plants. Uh, there are proposed regulations out there for more COVID measures, uh, further distancing between workers, things that perhaps could slow uh, the output of those uh, of those uh, plants. And there's a big debate over do you take those measures or do you push harder on vaccinations? But however that plays out, what do you see moving forward, how that, that could impact things in the future? Well, it all depends on what gets kind of decided and put in place, obviously. We don't know the details of that. Um, I was just uh, listening to a presentation by Nick Giordano of MPPC, and I know they're working pretty hard in Washington to try to minimize the impacts on our packing plants on that. Uh, the numbers that we have for this year would say that we're okay on capacity, even through the fourth quarter. Uh, but we don't have much slack, especially once we get to October, November, December. So if you do anything that slows these plants down, uh, that could cause us some trouble, no question about that. And um, uh, we've been kind of on that for a while, and I work with MPPC, and so we've been trying to point out that, uh, you know, this is a throughput issue, and if these hogs are out there, they've got to go somewhere, and they need to be very careful to not slow this down. Uh, hopefully the workers and the plants will opt for vaccination to protect, protect everyone, but that's really a personal decision. And uh, there are some workers that have balked on that, I, I understand. And, and I guess that's, you know, I'm not sure I understand that, but that's their prerogative. And so um, uh, that could be an issue, Mike. Uh, right now, we don't think it will be. Uh, we're certainly okay from now through the summer as far as capacity goes because of just seasonally lower numbers of animals. Uh, but still, uh, we'd be looking at the fourth quarter to say, is this going to be a problem? And it would have to be a, a significant slowdown at this point to really get us in a bind of any, you know, not even close to where we were a year ago back in the spring, April and May of 2020. And finally, what are you hearing on African swine fever again in, in China? Well, <laughs> you can hear about everything you want to hear, to tell you the truth. And um, we, we understand that it's certainly become very much, very significant again uh, since the first of the year. Uh, the losses and cutbacks of sow numbers, uh, pig losses, uh, this variant of African swine fever that apparently has been caused by a an illegal vaccine there has kind of changed the normally chronic, uh, the normally acute ASF into more of a chronic disease that is very difficult to control. And so we think that everything that we're hearing is that it's kind of rearing its ugly head again. Now, on one side, that takes out pigs over there, but uh, but they also had a change in November, Mike. They announced that they were going to ban garbage feeding, and you know that doesn't sound like a big deal to us in the United States, but it's a big deal in China. And so even though they have fewer numbers of pigs, they've switched, you know, millions of hogs from a garbage diet or table scraps diet over to a, a grain and soybean meal diet. And so uh, that's one of the things that's driving their grain demand right now, even though it probably will still result in lower pork supplies and keep them in the export market. So I'm kind of guardedly optimistic about our exports to China this year. They have they have been better than we expected so far, 
not as good as last year so far, but better than expected. And if once we get to May and June, they could actually be better mm-hmm. than last year. And so right. uh, we think that that's still going to be a pretty good market for us. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. Good, uh, good perspective. We appreciate it. Steve Meyer, Economist with thanks, Partners thanks. for Production Agriculture. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.